infrastructure, namely the ability to quickly and efficiently transport commodities and other goods, has been a competitive advantage for a number of U.S. industries, especially agriculture. From our inland waterways to our extensive network of highways, the U.S. farmer, livestock producer, and agribusiness professional has long benefited from the best overall logistics infrastructure on the planet. Unfortunately, in recent decades, however, the country has failed to keep pace with maintaining and modernizing our infrastructure, and unless something changes soon, a number of watchers suggest that that long-held competitive advantage could quickly become a relative disadvantage. Welcome to Feedstuff's In Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we talk with Max Fisher, Vice President of Economics and Government Relations for the National Grain and Feed Association, about the state of infrastructure policy proposals and what lies ahead with a new Congress and a new administration. This episode is sponsored by United Animal Health, a leader in animal health and nutrition. You can learn more about United Animal Health and how they're working to advance animal science worldwide by visiting their website, unitedanh.com. So, Max, it's it's an interesting thing as we come into uh, now, gosh, what, uh, a month or so into a, a new administration, a new Congress, and after getting the big stimulus bill passed, I think a lot of policy watchers are are expecting that there will be some infrastructure um, movement. And, and of course, that has big implications for us in the grain and, and feed, animal feed industries. W- what are your thoughts? Let's just start off, I guess, at the, the lay of the land. What What is the state of play with regard to infrastructure in this country as it relates to moving grain and, and feed and feed ingredients? Maybe I'll just start on the congressional side on that question. Uh, so last year, Congress passed a one-year extension of the highway bill. It was supposed to have been passed, reauthorized for five years last year, but they chose to just do a one-year reauthorization. So, so we have that coming up, and uh, it needs to be done before, before the end of September. So we are expecting you know, any infrastructure package that Congress does to probably also extend um, the highway bill itself to provide funding for our nation's uh, highways and bridges and so forth. As, as you probably remember, like in, under the Trump administration, they also wanted to do a big infrastructure package to go beyond highways. And, you know, it, it didn't end up coming to fruition. So the hope is, is to be able to do it again under the Biden administration to get it done. But uh, so that's, that's kind of what we're looking at from a congressional side. And um, probably the infrastructure bill will combine the highway and everything. So it'll probably just be one big bill when it does come out. Um, as far as the lay of the land, you know, you, you see the reports uh, from the various government agencies, you know, all saying that we're, we're falling further behind on things. I think you talk to any state Department of Transportation, they'll concur with that, that uh, more funding is needed to be able to keep up with uh, our, our infrastructure demands, you know, especially on the highway side. It seems like, uh, you know, our, our nation's gas tax you know, it's, it's set, um, gosh, I want to think it's like 22 cents a gallon. And it's been that way for like 30 years. Uh, yet the cost of concrete asphalt, so forth continues to go up. And, um, anyway, so it's been requiring our, uh, Congress to come up with additional money. Every time they do a highway bill, they're not able to cover the expenses using the gas, the gas tax funds. So they've been having to take money out of the treasury or, or take it from other areas within the government. So, 
there just seems to be this constant need to come up with more money. So, you know, hopefully this infrastructure bill could do something to, to get us on track better, you know, more on track with the funding demands that are already out there. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the previous administration, it, it seemed like infrastructure week kind of became an ongoing punchline or inside joke. I mean, it was one of the things that was discussed really early in that administration. And then as you noted, it, it just never came to pass. And there are a variety of reasons for that and so on. But are we hopeful that this administration maybe will finally get infrastructure week going, so to speak, or is it one of those things that, Hey, uh, we've been kicking this can down the road now, not, not just for one administration, but two or three or four. Uh, is there some hope that maybe this time will be different? Good questions. And, you know, I, I guess uh, just looking at the politics of the matter, you know, right now Democrats have control of both chambers plus the presidency. So they certainly can do more things, especially through reconciliation, like what was, like what was just done um, with the most recent stimulus bill that went through where essentially didn't have any Republican support. One usually looks at infrastructure and thinks that it can be a bipartisan exercise. And, and that's certainly the hope. So, you know, given the Democrats have all the chambers plus the presidency, I would put the odds higher than they were under the Trump administration, just because President Trump, you know, by the time he got around to doing infrastructure, the House was under the control of the Democrats. And, uh, you know, I know their highway bill was vastly different than the Republican highway bill. And, and you know, that made it more difficult, part of the reason for the one-year reauthorization of that. So, Anyway, just just looking at the politics of the matter, I, I guess I would put the odds at higher just based on Democrats having control of the two chambers plus the presidency. Yeah, and you, I mean, I think you make a good point there about the, you know, the the politics of the issue, and it's it's kind of an interesting thing. On the one hand, as as you know, one party has control. On the other hand, the party that's that's out of power, so to speak, represents a lot of rural America which would certainly we think tend to benefit i would i would guess from from any uh, infrastructure type package so maybe there's some bipartisanship there i i guess we'll you know tbd let's talk through some of the specifics so you mentioned the highway bill i know ngfa signed on with a big letter along with a number of other ag groups and and commodity agribusiness folks uh, a week or so back calling on congress to to get you know, off the dime on, on this. So what are some of the other priorities related to surface transportation uh, the specifics that we want to see Congress start moving on? Several of, of the agricultural organizations came together to put some priorities forward to Congress that agriculture would like to see in the bill. You know, first and foremost, you know, just want to make sure that rural America is not left behind in any infrastructure package. So, you know, just ask for adequate funding and you know, availability of the programs and ranking criteria to, you know, take into account the unique challenges facing rural communities. So, you know, that, that, that was the first message. And then, and then there were some more specific policy areas, uh, you know, some of them related to the agricultural exemption to the hours of service rules for, for ag haulers. There was, a, you know, also one related to truck weights, um, having a pilot program to allow trucks up to essentially to allow interstate highway truck weight limits to more closely resemble the state road truck weight limits 
to allow some efficiencies to be gained there. Also, just some, uh, I guess, some recognition that internal combustion engines are, are going to be around for a while. Yes, you know, I understand that, um, you know, right now there's somewhat of a move towards electrification, but, you know, that's, that's certainly going to take a while. So, you know, just wanted to make sure that uh, biofuels and so forth get some recognition there. Um, hopefully just some more efficient, you know, some research towards more efficient internal combustion engines, just realizing that uh, we're probably going to need, you know, kind of an, an all of the above approach to looking at our energy policy. And then there was some items on posted local speed limits. Uh, been some talk about putting speed limiters on, on trucks and, uh, it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it kind of makes it tough because you know usually the speed limits are designed to reflect local driving conditions. So a one-size-fits-all approach can be kind of tough, and sometimes you can end up limiting a truck speed to say 10, 15, 20 miles under the local speed limit, and then you know that's almost as dangerous having a vehicle that's way too slow relative to the flow of traffic than than one that can go with the flow of traffic. And, uh, oh, there, there were a, a few other items as well, too. Uh, one, maybe one more I'll bring up is to account for load shifts. Uh, sometimes, like in grain trucks, if, if you have to hit the brakes kind of hard, you, your load can shift a little bit, and it can make it to where your, your load is not dispersed equally over all your axles. And it can, it can if you get pulled over by a highway patrol then and get weighed, it can actually make it to where one of your axle groups will will exceed that axle group weight limit, even though the overall weight limit of your truck is still underneath the weight limit and they can be ticketed for that. So we asked for a tolerance for each weight group, you know, so long as the overall truck weight is uh, under the limit. There's so many important things there. And when you're talking about some of the, the, the things for, you know, dad drove a semi-truck hauling John Deere farm equipment for many years. And I, I always told him, you know, just as a driver of uh, normal passenger vehicles, I don't know how he did it all those years. So all those, when you're going through all of the issues related to hauling feed and, and grain and livestock, uh, it's just so important to our livestock and, and food supply chain. What's the timeline for some of these kind of things? Are there, are your expectations that we'll see movement on some of these things in the short run or do the politics of um, that we were talking about earlier I mean some of these may be things that we have to work on for a couple of years or do you think hey this is one of those where um, this administration and congress are going to try to move fast on some of these given that you know they want to get some things done before the midterms i think they'll strike while the iron is hot you know uh, the house in particular already has a bill that kind of reflects the democrat transportation priorities Last year, you know, it came out, it's called HR2. Given that that chamber's uh, politics have stayed the same after the last election, you know, I think that'll be a, a starting point for them. And they'll, you know, perhaps tweak it a little bit, but it'll probably largely come out the same. And the Senate, on the other hand, you know, has changed from Republican control to Democrat. So I, I would expect them to take a, another look at their bill. Uh, the Environmental and Public Works Committee last year had a bill for the highway bill, and I, I suspect that that'll be changed. And I, as far as timeline, I would think here in the spring, you will see some of these bills will be released, you know, in the April, May timeframe. And then uh, 
you know, start seeing some deliberation from the full house and full Senate in the early summer and then potentially conference it late summer. And I guess if they're supposed to get it done by the end of September is, is kind of the deadline where they either have to do a short-term reauthorization or, a, or put forward a long-term bill. So that, that's kind of my thoughts on timeline. Mm-hmm. And, and this Halls Act, uh, this uh, Haulers of Ag and Livestock Safety Act, as you, as you mentioned, I think the House has their version out. Um, any, any thoughts on how, what kind of changes there might be between a House and a Senate version of these type of bills? Uh, is, there, is there general um, you know, agreement from one chamber to the other? Sometimes it's interesting to see how, how the House might look at something differently than the Senate does and vice versa. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that one up, Andy. So that um, Hull's bill, which is short for Hullers of Agricultural and Livestock Safety Bill, um, that that bill was released last year um, in the Senate and House, and then it was um, filed again here just recently. And it's, it's being led by Senator Fisher from Nebraska, Senator Tester from Montana, Senator Smith from Minnesota, and Senator Wicker. Mississippi. And in the House, uh, it hasn't been released yet, but Representative Rose from Tennessee is likely to lead up that, that effort. But the bill itself is going to be the same in the, in the Senate and probably will be the same in the House. Um, it, it's a marker bill. You know, it, it's one that, uh, you know, hope to get the provisions in the overall highway bill slash infrastructure bill, however it comes out. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, it, it does three things, you know, First, it uh, makes it to where that hours of service exemption for agriculture, which gives them a little bit more flexibility on driving time, you know, given that you know, agriculture is kind of seasonal and so forth. You know, sometimes you need more time, especially during the planting and harvesting seasons. And you just need the ability to surge a little bit. And we also saw that, you know, with COVID where, you know, where food, food supply chain needed a little more flexibility to adapt <laughs> to what happened then. And then we also saw, geez, just a month ago when it got so extremely cold, especially in the Plain States and some of the feed mills shut down and they needed extra time when they did reopen to get some feed out to the live animals that that were about to run out. So um, things like that is why I need extra driving time. And and right now, I think it's about 33 states make it to where this uh, agricultural exemption is available year round should ag haulers need it. Uh, 17 states don't not year round there. So what this would do is it would just make it simple, make it to where it's available year round in all states, which, you know, sounds really simple. And hopefully that will get done in this bill. So that's the first thing. Uh, The second thing that the the Halls Act would do is it would provide a little more flexibility on the, uh, on the destination side of the hall. Right now there's some flexibility on the origin side, provides an exemption from the our service rules if you're within 150 miles of the origin, well, it would do the same thing on the destination. That's especially important for livestock haulers, you know, that are taking livestock from the Southeast to the Plain States. You know, they, they don't have the luxury of just stopping and then uh, resting for a while. Those livestock, they, once you get them on the truck, you get, you got to get them to their destination. It's an, it's an animal welfare thing. And then the, the third item is it would um, just clarify what all ag products qualify for the agricultural exemption to the hours of service rules. You know, right now there's just some gray areas, some commodities like soybean meal and, and distillers grains and, and some others where it's just, it's just not 
clear, I guess, for sure that they qualify or don't qualify. And, and this would just provide clarity so that um, ag haulers aren't guessing as to what qualifies and what doesn't. That's, that's what's in the bill. Three things that we think are very important. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good example. As I was looking at that particular bill and you, you listed the sponsors uh, of the Senate version, the, the, there was that bipartisanship, right? You know, the named sponsors, I think two R's and two D's. So, you know, fingers crossed that at least you can get back mm-hmm. to some of that. We used to say, uh, and you've, you've been around ag policy uh, as longer, longer than I have, but uh, when, when you, we used to say agriculture was a, a bipartisan sport, it was more regional than partisan you know if you had differences it was between maybe the midwest and the south or you know these crops or that crop and so on it wasn't the the typical partisan rancor so hopefully some of these uh initiatives will find that kind of broad support and uh that's a good good first step but other things that you're watching that we need to be aware of uh, that, that relate to the feed and livestock industry this week, the Canadian Pacific Railway announced their intentions to merge with the Kansas City Southern Railway. You know, that's a pretty major thing, you know, for, for rail transportation of these commodities. You know, right now we have seven class one railroads and that would take us down to six. And yeah, that's something that especially my association is really looking at closely. My association, we represent, you know, grain handlers, grain processors, grain exporters, feed mills, th- things of that nature. A lot of rail transportation in, in our in our ranks. And um, the Surface Transportation Board, that's the regulatory agency for, for the railroad. So they ultimately will decide if this merger is allowed. But of course, there will be input from stakeholder groups such as ours and from farm groups and, and all, all different types of shippers and receivers, you know, from chemicals to coal to intermodal. That's something we're all going to be looking at to see if this would uh, uh, harm competition within the rail ranks or not. I just wanted to put that on on your listeners' radars that uh, there is a proposed merger in the rail ra- in in the railroad industry. And you know, there's a there there's a good question. Maybe this will be a good test case to see uh, is there you know whether it's actually antitrust or not. But just, there's this concept of of how um consolidation has has continued to affect a number of industries in and around agriculture and um that that'll be a very good test case to see what they do what the board does um if they allow that one to go through yeah i'm glad you brought that up because that's uh i don't know if it's getting quite as much attention uh outside of you know the trade uh, as maybe it should because it's not that's not a, a minor thing, right. To go from seven down to six class one railway. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. Thanks for the insights today, Max, really great discussion on a variety of issues. I think important to uh, grain handlers, feed mills, livestock callers, uh, and uh, ones that we'll keep a, a watch on and look forward to touching base with you again throughout the year as some of these uh, provisions move forward. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by United Animal Health, a leader in animal health and nutrition. You can learn more about United Animal Health and how they're working to advance animal science worldwide by visiting the website unitedanh.com. My thanks to Max Fisher with the National Grain and Feed Association for joining us on this week's episode. For the latest reporting on policy and legislation related to livestock and animal feed production and how it's affecting your business, visit our website feedstuffs.com. And join us, won't you, in our new virtual community and events platform, Feedstuffs 365.
I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google. Or you can always just visit our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.